So we are in Mark chapter 13. Last week, if you remember back to then, we started off sort of a part one of a part two series. We looked at the destruction of the temple, but I'm going to just read a few verses from the end of chapter 13 just to remind us, just to set the, set, just remind you where we were at. So let's start in verse 24, I think. Um, it says this, but in those days after the tribulations, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give and will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heavens, and the power of the heavens, sorry, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four, from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you will know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. But concerning that hour or the hour, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servant in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And when I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. Father, we just pray as we come to your word, help us to have open ears and open hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would use my words for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, last week, as I said, we looked at the prophetic word that Jesus gave to the disciples about the destruction of the temple. A prophecy, of course, that came to pass within the lifetime of those who were listening in A.D. 70. But very clearly, we said it last week, we'll say it again, very clearly, this prophetic word or this prophecy doesn't end there because Jesus' description also describes something that is yet to come. His second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, there's much that could be said about the end of the world and about the return of Jesus, and we look at Um, Revelation, we look at various other passages from Scripture, but for the purposes of today, mainly because of time constraints, I'm going to stay within chapter 13 mostly and just see what's Mark, what's the gospel writer Mark want to say to us about Jesus' return. Many people have also got a lot to say about when and how Jesus is going to come back. And we can, I'm sure you've heard some of the stuff, are you pre or post or A or B or C or D or whatever you, you know, there's so many different views on the, on how Jesus is going to return into this, return to this world. But listen, there's only one thing that we can know with absolute certainty. He's coming back. 
There is my theology on end times. <laughs> He's coming back. And this it may be interesting, and there's scholars who are much better than me on these subjects, but they don't even agree. But they do agree that he is coming back as surely as AD 70 came and went, as surely as that temple was destroyed, Jesus is returning. He's coming back. And we, if you're a Christian, you should be hungry. In fact, you should be excited about the prospect of his return. And we should be ready for it at any moment. Now, the fact that 2,000 years have gone past, I believe only shows us something about the heart of God. A God who is quick to show mercy, who just loves to forgive. A God who is slow to anger, slow to judge, who is always there to give opportunity for each one of us to respond to him. But B, do not make any mistake about this. There is a day coming when Jesus will return in power and glory. His words, not mine. He will return in power and glory for each one of us, for those who have come and put their trust in him. But also, that day will be a day that will decide the fate of everyone for all time. And even though the return of Jesus feels distance, yet... Every day that goes past is one day closer to him coming back again. Every day that goes past is one day closer to him coming back again. So when Jesus speaks about his coming, he's, it's judged not on our time scale. It's not on our clocks. It's God's clocks. And the truth is the next big event on God's divine calendar is the return of Jesus Christ. And although no one but God has seen that calendar or seen the date, there is a date that is marked in red. And Jesus is no liar. And he will return as surely as day follows night. He's coming back. I want to just share four thoughts that I, th- I believe Mark would want us to see in this passage about his return. The first one is this. The return of Jesus will be devastating, it will be dramatic, and it will be unstoppable. And the only clue that we are given here to Jesus' return, the only thing that we, we can know for absolute certainty is that time will take place after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Now, obviously, those days have gone and went a long time ago, but also we read here that actually the events of the, the forthcoming return of Jesus are going to be even more devastating and dramatic than the events surrounded AD 70 that we talked about last week. The sun will be darkened, it says. The stars will fall from the sky. The moon will end. The heavens will be shaken. And Jesus will return in great power and might. In fact, it tells us in Revelation that everyone's going to want to hide at that moment, in that day. It says, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountain. In fact, only those 
The only people who will be safe on that day are those who put their hope and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's sending out his angels to gather them home, to gather them to his side. And listen, when Jesus returns, he's not calling us to be afraid, not to be, to be scared. And if you love Jesus, he's calling you home. He's saying, come, come to me, come and, and be with me. He's collecting his chosen people to bring them into his presence. But for some, it will be a frightening day. The Bible clearly teaches this. And if you are someone who has not found forgiveness through Jesus, you need to. It is that important. You need to give your life over to Jesus Christ. But actually, when Jesus returns for so many, for those who know him, for those who are Christians, it's going to be an amazing day, a day of great joy, a day of great excitement. In fact, better than probably any of us can ever imagine your best friend's coming back. You should be excited about this. Your best friend is coming back. I can remember when we first started going out, me and Rachel, we met in Cardiff University, and I had been going out for, we'd been going together for about four months, and then I left Cardiff, I went back to Belfast to work over there and do part more training. Rachel had to stay in Cardiff to finish her last year. So we had this sort of 12 months, this sort of long-distant relationship so we used to write letters, and uh, is, of course the days before email or um, texting or, 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 or you know, Skype or anything like that, we are that old, yes, I know, hard to believe, but we are, we're that old guys, and uh, we'd also phone each other quite regularly, but actually really all we wanted to do was just to see each other, sometimes even counting down the days till the next time we would sort of be together and actually see each other. And that should be the level of of anticipation and excitement that we should have about the return of Jesus. Listen, your loved one is away from you and he's he's coming back to, to be with you. And there should be this level of just excitement and just joy of just the sense that Jesus is coming. Our best friend is coming for me, for you. The second thought I want to leave with you is this. There will be signs that will point to the return of Jesus. Now we must be careful in this. We don't get too caught up and and I guess almost sidetracked by these signs. Because it's, it's so easy to start to read too much into things. You know what I mean? We can sort of it almost become, we get a little bit paranoid about it almost. Because these are just simply birth pains. They're just pointers, just saying, yeah, he's coming, but we, we can't be overly read too much into them. And Jesus tells the parable about the fig tree to try and illustrate that point. He says, actually, if you, you don't need to be a, a particularly a gardener of any real knowledge to, to work this one out. It's very simple, isn't it? When you start to see the little buds starting to form on trees, you begin to think, one day soon, there's going to be blossom there. The flower is going to come one day. We don't know exactly when that day will be. We can't pinpoint it exactly, but we know the signs are there. It's pointing to the fact that summer's coming, that flowers are going to appear on that plant. And Jesus says, in exactly the same way, these signs are there to point to you, not to give you the exact time and date, but to say, I'm coming. I'm coming for you guys. 
I'm on my way. So what are these signs? Well, actually, they're very similar to, in fact, the same signs that the disciples themselves experienced before the destruction of the temple. So the first one is false teachers. We mentioned this, of course, last week as well. And we need to be careful that we keep Jesus Christ at the very center of everything that we do. We, as a group of churches, were called Christ Central, part of New Frontiers, bit of an unwieldy title, admittedly, but, but that's who we are. And we need to live and be what it says on the tin, to have, on the tin, to have Christ at the very center of everything that we do. And we need to be so careful that we stay true to God's word. We don't don't want to add anything to it or take anything away from it. But we live on the truth of what the Bible teaches. And listen, just because something sounds plausible or even quite exciting, it doesn't make it true. So we go back to God's word and we back everything up by scripture and say, what is God saying to us in all of this? So beware. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Just take care. Make sure you stick true to my word. Don't be led astray. Don't be led astray by false teachers or people who come up with some fantastic stories. Stick to the truth of the gospel. The second thing that we, the second sign that Jesus mentions is our earthquakes. Now, research has shown that there are roughly about 50 earthquakes every single day. Now, most of them are pretty small, so you probably don't even notice them sometimes, but not all, obviously not all happening in Chester. Um, I'm thinking worldwide, of course. But, but and, and it's, the, the researchers also say that actually the number of earthquakes and also the size of these earthquakes has gone up in recent years. So we look at some of the statistics. In September 2009, there was an 8.1 magnitude earthquake on the Samoa Islands. February 2010, Chile experienced 8.8. That's a biggie. In 2011, in March, you remember the Japanese earthquake? That was 8.9 on the Richter scale. It was the largest that Japan has ever experienced. In fact, it's the seventh largest ever in the world. Now, again, we don't get too worked up about statistics. We don't read too much into these things. We can't, there's no sort of line we can plot and say, well, if this carries on like this, Jesus will come then. Okay, just signs, okay? Remember, just signs. The the other thing, the third thing that Jesus says to look out for is for, for persecution. Another sign. In the past 100 years, during the 20th century, During the 20th century, 26 million Christians were killed and martyred because of their faith. Now that is more than all the rest of the other centuries put together. Just in the last 100 years, 26 million, and that is more than, if you add everything else up together, up to that point, in 100 years, more people were martyred and killed because they believed and put their hope in Jesus Christ. We look around the world, we look at places like Turkey, where attacks on Christians and churches are pretty common. 
In fact, it says that Christians are murdered in particularly gruesome ways by, by Muslim extremists. We go to Kazakhstan, where Christians have been kicked out of their homes because they've held unauthorized prayer meetings. In Pakistan, mentioned it last week, Christians are executed because they are falsely accused of blaspheming against Islam and against, um, against the Prophet Muhammad. In China, well, it continues to, they continue to close down home churches and to promote the official church over the underground legitimate church. Vietnam, Christians are arrested and tortured. In Indonesia, scores of Christians have been arrested because of blasphemy. I'm sure the list could go on. That's what's happening today. And Jesus says, look out for the signs, because these things are little buds that are pointing to the certainty, I'm coming again. I will return. The third thing that I want to mention is this. Don't guess. Don't try. Lots of people have come up with dates and times and thinking, you know what, I, I know when Jesus is going to come back again. And we, they try to work it out and they say the world will end on such and such a time. And Jesus, he makes one thing very, very clear. Don't guess. Verse 32 He says, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So there's a a few guys who have tried this, of course, a guy called Camping who predicted that the rapture and the devastating earthquake would, would occur on May 21st, 2011, and then God would take approximately 3% of the population up into heaven, and then five months later... The end of the world would occur on October 21st, 2011. In case you're wondering, <laughs> didn't happen. A guy called Ronald Wieland prophesied that a nuclear explosion would hit the U.S. cities on July 2008. And for him, he sort of connected with the blowing of the second um, trumpet as recorded in Revelation. And they said then how... Um, that Jesus Christ would return on the 29th of September, 2011. He later changed the date, unfortunately, because he had to. And he said, actually, no, Jesus is going to come back on the 27th of May, 2012. Wrong again. And these guesses are simply guesses. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You cannot work it out. It's not possible. Don't even try. You're wasting your time. Nobody knows the date. In fact, it says only God the Father knows himself. But Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. In fact, it seems important that we do not know so that we live in a state of full alertness, because only then will we have the required urgency that is needed to take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to those who do not know. So we must be so careful, careful that we do not become overconfident, that we think we know things that that Jesus himself doesn't know, but also careful that we don't become too relaxed about this as well. In fact, Jesus, in many of his parables, he tells us, in fact, encourages us not to ease up, not to get too comfortable. 
but to keep our eyes fixed on him, not to begin to think that he's not going to come back because there's a certain amount of time has gone by that he perhaps is, but to be ready because he's coming. He is coming. And Jesus wants you to, first of all, verse 37, to watch. To be like a security guard, to be alert, to be watching, to be looking what's going on around you, to be praying, to be expecting Jesus to come, to, to come to him with real confidence, knowing that he's coming back. And even though difficulties will come, because they will, because he says they will, okay, even though they come, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep watching, we are alert, waiting for his coming again. But also, we're told to work, verse 34. There is a task to do, and that is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to this world. And listen, this is not some sort of fast sprint. This is a marathon. This, this is not something we just want to rush at. We, we need to take our time. We need, to, we need to pace ourselves. We don't want to burn out over this one. We want to walk faithfully before God every day. We want to finish well. We want to honor God in all that we do. Then the fourth and the last thing that I think we want to learn is that we want to be ready and stay ready. We need to be ready and stay ready. Verse 33 says, be on your guard and keep awake. And Jesus tells us one last story here, I guess just to hammer home his message. See, there's one thing, in fact, one person in this world who will not change who cannot change, and that is God himself. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, everything else will pass away, everything else will change, but God will not change. And it is so important that we get into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. It's so important that we know Jesus, that we respond to the gospel. And this story that Jesus tells is a parable of his own life. So a master leaves on a journey and his servant is given a job to do, a job to keep things going while the master's away. But the knowledge that his master will return imminently keeps him absolutely focused on the task that is in hand. And he's watching He's waiting, he's looking forward to the return of his master. And Jesus says, I'm that master. I've gone to heaven, but I'm coming back one day. I am going to return. In fact, perhaps the reason, maybe the whole goal in Jesus telling the disciples the prophecy about the destruction of the temple was very simply so that they would know with absolute certainty that because the temple was destroyed, just as Jesus said, so Jesus Christ will return. That one prophecy came absolutely true, and for that reason we can be assured that Jesus Christ will return just as he said he would And Jesus very simply says again and again and again, be ready. 
be ready. All the evidence is pointing to it. And the only hope we have is to turn to Jesus for salvation. The only thing that will save you is putting your trust in Jesus. You need to have your sins dealt with. You need to come to the cross of Jesus. You need to give your life over to him if you haven't done so already. That's where we must begin. A step of faith towards Jesus Christ to give our hearts completely and utterly over to him, to follow him, to repent of our sins, to receive the cleansing and the forgiveness and the salvation that only he can give. But don't think you can wait until the last minute. Don't think you can just hang around and then maybe take your chances with Jesus a little later on. This story would suggest that anyone without Jesus is asleep. And only those who are Christians, only those who know Jesus are awake and are able to watch and able to see what is going on in this world. And I guess there's a sense There's a sense in which this last little story in this passage wants to give some of us a little shake. It's almost like the Holy Spirit just coming and just saying, come on guys, just want to give you a little shake, just encourage just wake up, just wake up. Come on, just open your eyes now, just just wake wake up to what I'm doing here, just look around, he's he's coming back, just just waking up, and there's a sense of that in this passage, and I can remember when my my daughter Rosie was a a, sort of a toddler, when you put her over to sleep, I've asked her for permission to say this, so it's okay. <laughs> when you put her over to sleep, she would, after about half an hour, she was in such a deep, deep sleep that you could hoover around her, you could jump on the bed, you could shout at the top of your voice, nothing, nothing would waken her. Remember one day when, when her nana was coming over, she'd, she didn't often sleep in the middle of the day, but she, she dropped off to sleep one day and in really deep sleep, we thought we'd better... We better waken her up, partly because she'd been sleeping for quite a long time and we wanted her to sleep that night. Um, but also wanted her nana to see her as well, of course. Um, and uh, so we went over to say, come on, Rosie, just waken, come on, just waken up. And honestly, it's like trying to waken the dead. <laughs> come, come on, Rosie, just, just waken up. And eventually she comes around and there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is perhaps shaking some of you guys right now. I just saying, guys, waken up. Waking up, this is your opportunity to respond to Jesus. Don't miss it. Just waken. He's coming. He's coming. You've got to be, have your eyes open. You've got to be watching. You've got to be waiting for his return. And we need to have a healthy view of the return of Jesus. Not to get paranoid or mixed up with all the signs and getting too, getting overcomplicating things, because these are simply, these are simply just birth pains. These are just simply a way to urge us to, to live lives worthy of God, to keep our eyes on Christ, to be filled with His Spirit, to remain faithful, to remain pure, to remain holy, to walk blamelessly before God, to be ready, to be waiting for His return. See, he's coming. He's coming back.
Jonathan Edwards, one of the great revival preachers of days gone by, it is said that in the early part of his ministry, he made a promise to God that he would live every day as though it was his last. That's how God wants you to live for him. To keep one eye on eternity and one eye on what he's called you to do down here. So wake up and trust him and stay awake, church. Stay awake. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep looking towards him with a joy and a hunger for his return. Let's stand together.